Hi, and welcome back to Love Dripping from the Walls. I am your host, Elizabeth Ann Cunningham. You are listening to season four, episode one. This season is about the intersectionality of BIPOC and LGBTQ. And in this first episode, we'll talk about what is intersectionality? Why is it important to talk about and know about? What is the as-lived experience of Black, Indigenous, people of color, and LGBTQ? The purpose of this season is to have people who are BIPOC and LGBTQ to be seen and heard. The other purpose is that people who are not that can learn more about others' experiences. In doing this, we hope to accomplish a greater connection between all people. I will be joined by my lovely co-host, Jamie Smith, along with our guests, Brian Prince, Paul Anthony Martinez, and Raw Bryant. If you like this podcast, please consider rating and reviewing the show or becoming a sponsor. I hope that you enjoy this episode. All right, y'all. Love Dripping from the Walls has merch. It's official. You can now buy Love Dripping from the Walls hats, t-shirts, hoodies, masks, even. And the best part is, is that when you buy Love Dripping from the Walls merch, you also support a great cause. Love Dripping from the Walls merch can be purchased through Cosa Core. Cosa Core is a company that I founded with a friend of mine, my business partner, Enrico. And uh, we put together this company so that as people buy products that we give back to organizations. The first organization that we are giving back to is Autism Compassion Africa. So when you buy Love Dripping from the Walls merch, you also support Autism Compassion Africa. So please consider supporting Love Dripping from the Walls by buying merch and supporting Autism Compassion Africa as well. Thank you all so much. Yay! Thank you so much for joining me. Um, Welcome everybody who is listening, but this is episode one of season four. Yes, y'all didn't know this is now a whole season of love dripping from the walls. And what we are up to this season, what we are talking about is the intersectionality and the experience of BIPOC and LGBTQ. And if you're scared of acronyms, we will make sure that you know exactly what that (laughs) means. It will become very clear very soon. I have a co host this season. Yes. I have a co host this season. Her name is Jamie Smith. And hold on just a second here because I'm going to read off this woman's credentials because she's a freaking badass and a half. So, Jamie is not only just a dear friend of mine, I just love you to pieces, but she was a staffer for Obama in 2008, 2012, and then again for Clinton in 2016. She was very active in the Washington State Democratic Party, being on the executive board of King County Democrats, precinct committee officer for the 37th Legislative Democrats, the Democratic National uh, Convention? No. DNC. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I'm right. yeah. Okay. I'm right. 
Democratic National <laughs> Convention delegate representing the 9th Congressional District served on the board of Emerge Washington, which recruits women to run for office, rock on, and ran herself for Renton City Council, which is when I met you, is when you yes. ran for city council. Absolutely, yes. Oh, oh my gosh. Thank you so much for being my co-host this season. It's already been a blast putting this together with you. Also, a shout out to Paul Martinez, who was on this call as well who helped me put this together. And as you get to know everyone that's going to be on this season, they're all just like badass people and a half. And uh, yeah, so Jamie, I'm going to rock it over to you and say anything else that you'd like to say about yourself and what, why you said yes to being my co-host and also what you want to get, what you want people to get out of this season. Sure, sure. And Elizabeth, thank you so much for having me. You know, the love is mutual. So we could totally be like, you know, geeking out over each other for for forever, but people have things to do. I am here because when you brought this idea to me, I was like, this is my passion. You know, I love creating space and being able to have these candid conversations, you know, that are so critical for, you know, for our advancement as a society, you know, and for the individual liberties of the people who live, you know, in these societies. So I just, you know, I'm, I'm really, I want to keep it conversational. I want to keep it kind of a good space for us to be, you know, completely free, but at the same time, be very introspective about our, our, um, about our perspectives and how we can continue to help people understand, you know, the differences and, and eventually be able to synthesize those differences into their own lives. While at the same time, just letting everybody know that it's okay to be us, you know, and whatever us is you know, and whatever us is for you, you know, a uh, faithful listener. So thank you so much for having me, Elizabeth. I'm super excited to be here. Super excited to be here with Ra and Paul and Brian and let's go. All right. <laughs> Fabulous. Yes. Okay. So what we are talking about in this first episode is intersectionality. What is it? We mentioned, I mentioned at the beginning of this uh, like five minutes ago, that uh, we're talking about the intersectionality of BIPOC and LGBTQ. What that is, is Black, Indigenous, people of color, and uh, LGBTQ, for those people who don't know what LGBTQ is, is lesbian, gay, trans, bisexual, queer, and then there's also the plus of all of the beautiful, wonderful things that fall under the LGBTQ umbrella. And so uh, I'm not going to go around and introduce people individually. Uh, What I'd like to do is just to get started in the conversation. And then when you, the first time that you speak, I just want you to take the first, you know, minute that you speak to introduce yourself and whatever you'd like people to know about you. So inside of intersectionality, what we're talking about is what is it? Like, what is intersectionality? Why is it important to talk about? And how does it affect you? Like, what is that actually? What is like taking intersectionality, not just from a concept, but like, what does that look like in your real life? And how does that affect how you get to be in the world? So we're sticking with the definition of intersectionality that is the original definition of intersectionality, which is intersectionality is a lens through which you can see where power comes and collides. 
where it interlocks and intersects. It's not simply that there is a race problem here or a gender problem here and a class or LGBTQ problem there, right? For our first question, inside of that definition, you know, what does intersectionality mean to you and why would you say that it is an important thing to talk about? I'll jump in. So in my mind, this definition is the original definition that was coined in 1989 by Kimberly Crenshaw, you know, who is an African-American activist and legal scholar. And the operative word here for me is power, you know, so it's one thing to kind of think about, you know, all the different identities and kind of like, oh, we're talking about identity politics, but that's not what it is at all. What it really is about is how does power intersect, power and privilege and, you know, where, where it actually kind of co- either collides or, or combines to create, you know, a, a truly inequitable system or where it can possibly combine to actually increase equity for people in society. And, you know, while we try to, while we call ourselves going towards the latter, we see a lot more of the former than we really want to see. Got it. Oh, come on. Yeah. I, 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 I was like, I was like, that was beautiful. Who's going to talk to my girlfriend? <laughs> I, I guess I know that. I guess oh I know that. Um, Everyone's intimidated by you, Jamie. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, no. it's, more the, uh, it's more the topic. I feel like it's such a, uh, my name's Brian. I'm a, a, a he, him pronouns, uh, black. I don't even know what to say I do anymore. Um, artist, stunt performer, park athlete from Seattle. Lived most of my life convincing myself I was very straight and so like my peer perspective usually comes from like a late boomer touching on the topic of the the, the mental gymnastics we can do <laughs> those, those tend to be the conversations I, I get into with people I can, I can go if my name is Ra or it's Sarah but I go by Ra and it's either one um, I have people that like Paul would know me by Sarah I wasn't Ra when Paul knew me, but then I moved out to Seattle and I embraced this like persona of raw and it's like the best part of, it's like who I am. Right. And so I don't get offended when people call me Sarah, but I go by raw now. But anyway, thank you so much for having me on here. I am in like shock about how put together this is. And like, when I saw your podcast and was just like, Oh, like I'm going to be on like an actual podcast. And then you ran down the uh, credentials for Jamie right now. And I thought I was like on CNN, like getting ready to like <laughs> get interviewed for some, some interviews. So now I'm like, Oh, oh I know people. <laughs> I'm like, Ooh, gotta get my, gotta get my good face on. <laughs> so basically, yeah. Like I identify as a, a black queer woman. I rarely say lesbian, but that's definitely what I am. Even though, you know, sexuality is fluid and all of that. Like I'm just, Definitely, there's not like a, I'm like 99.99999% like into women, right? <laughs> so, and I say that like tiny, tiny percent for men where I'm like, oh, that was weird. I don't know what that was, but like, cool. <laughs> so basically, I'm also Mexican. My grandma, like my mom's side of the family is like all Mexican. And I, so I'm, 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 I'm really Afro-Latina, but I don't identify with that and I honestly have been wanting to now that I'm getting older. I grew up in New Mexico where it's very, you know, majority is Hispanic. I'm not sure why I didn't identify with those roots. It might have been because you look at me and I was people see black. They don't see 
Latina. So they're just like, I got treated differently because I was black, not because I was Latina. So I think I just kind of, that's what I was identifying as, right? So yeah, but I think that intersectionality, I didn't really learn what it was up until like this last year. And I was like, oh, because my friend was like, well, you got to really like, you know, with intersectionality. And I was like, what's that? And she was like, girl, like, she's like, you are literally the definition of intersectionality. And I was like, (laughs) oh, I'm gonna have to look into that then. Like, you know, and so it's just been kind of a journey. Like, like I said, dealing with all of these boxes that I fit in kind of being queer, being black, being Latina, being a woman, being, it's like a lot. And so I just kind of work on embracing all of them and being proud of each box. And so now I'm hoping that it will all form like one giant box instead of little ones, like Russian stacking dolls, like, right. So now I want it to just be like this one and that's it. And we don't have to like unlayer them, but that's kind of how I see it. Yeah. That's just my two cents. Yeah. Well, First of all, like, thank you for that's that's a really clear example of how like as lived intersectionality exists. Like we we shared the definition of it and Jamie kind of shared it in a more conceptual way, which is important to like know the concept of of intersectionality, but to hear how that actually shows up. And your, your friend was like, so spot on where they were just like, you were like the definition of intersectionality. (laughs) So that was like one of those posters where, you know, where it's like the the team's rowing and then it has like the dev, like the word on the bottom. They were like, you'd be like the poster. And then it's like the intersectionality. Oh, good to know. Yes. With your sweatshirt and everything. Yeah. With my sweatshirt. It's like, Yeah. (laughs) oh my god okay so jamie did you want to oh about that actually i mean what's really interesting is that is how your intersectionality i think that you know i'd love to hear from paul and brian and see if this is the same thing but it was almost kind of like something you were not something you were actually conscious of right you know because it's just you know because a lot of times we talk about intersectionality it's only a thing for people who don't experience it, you know, but people who do experience it, they're just kind of like, oh, this is just real regular life Tuesday for me. So, you know, it was kind of interesting how you didn't notice it until someone had to point it out to you. And it's like, yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah. I could definitely agree with that. It's yeah. like something, it's, it, it almost reminds me of a uh, code switching. Yep. And exactly. how like I'll, I'll hear someone talking about code switching, like it's this ability but I think for me, it, it's never been something I've done purposefully. Right. Like code switching is something that just, it like, you know, if I'm at the family barbecue, I'm one way, you know. <laughs> it's in our blood. It's in our yeah, blood. Yeah, I'm hanging out with like a bunch of queer people on one way. If I'm hanging out with a bunch of parkour people on one way, if I'm on set, I'm a different way. And it's never like a conscious thing. It's just something that's kind of been like being a part of, like what Rob was saying, being a part of so many different boxes. You just kind of get used to, like, it's almost like a survival mechanism of, like, Mm -hmm. oh, where am I right now? What am I doing here? And, um, yeah, I think the intersectionality is really similar where it's like, oh, I didn't, is that, that's a thing? I I didn't know, like, do y'all not do that? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, well, Brian, how about you go ahead and introduce yourself again now that we can hear you? (laughs) Yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, of course, course I'm the one with the technical difficulty. Um, yeah, so my name is Ryan Prince. I am a black queer person of color from Seattle. I am um, 
actor, stunt performer, artist, illustrator, moderator, talker. I don't even know. I just do things. And I, <laughs> and some some reason, people keep giving me money at different places. And I'm like, okay, I'll keep doing that. Um, but uh, this, is, this is really special for me being here. Honestly, this is probably one of the most... This might be one of the, the most out I've been publicly in a... In a situation um because i'm just I've, I've been on a journey over the last two or three years to live my life as wholeheartedly as possible and so when you asked me to come on the show i was like yes i didn't even think i was like yeah let's do it it's yeah. gotta happen so really happy to be here and yeah sorry was there a question or the original question before we couldn't hear you was you know what does intersectionality mean to you and how does it play out you know, for you. Like that was, yeah, I guess. Also, oh, sorry, I'm going to add something else because yeah. you said the word code switching. So can you clarify for listeners who don't know what that is, what code switching is as well? Yeah. So code switching is, you know, as, as far as I know, it's just kind of like the, it's almost like the different dialects of our personalities that we ad- adopt or adapt to in different situations. I've always seen it as somewhat of a survival mechanism. If I'm hanging out with mostly white people, I kind of more or less talk in a way that's considered, that hasn't been considered in the past, mostly white. And it's not something I'm doing to fit in. Well, it is something I'm doing to fit in, but not necessarily like consciously as much as I'm just like, okay, I'm adapting to this situation. And I think it's funny because some of what Ra was saying, I, I hadn't actually been familiar with the concept of intersectionality until recently, but the way I kind of see the whole thing code switching and intersectionality, intersectionality coming together is just that like as someone who's never felt like so I'm, I'm also 6'10 so I'm super tall so like I, I've kind of lived a life of always not belonging to whatever group I'm in I'm either like too tall or, or too this or not this enough or not this enough you know whether it's like black queer masculine whatever and so I feel like living a life of many boxes and many hats there's a lot of places where all those like kind of combine and then we I don't know it's like it's one ambiguous experience and not just like different categories I don't, do, do you guys agree with that is, is that just like how I feel that yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah I would totally yeah. agree with that yeah absolutely you know you you find yourself in all these different boxes and you're just trying to you're, you're trying to connect with all these different people you know in all these different stratas but you know, because of the way that we've lived, you know, I think that those different people would not accept you if you were your authentic self, you know? And so you have to kind of, you know, speak a certain way around white people, speak a certain way around heterosexuals, speak a certain way around, you know, around, um, around men, if you're a woman or a woman, if you're a man, you know, those types of things. And so, you know, because we naturally live that way, it doesn't seem like intersectionality, but it is, you know, and then when we start talking about policies or you know or or movements and things like that them not taking that into account actually does us a disservice is kind of living at the intersection of all these different identities you know but here i am getting academic again so let's get back <laughs> 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 well, anytime you do have... that i'm gonna be like i'm gonna be like wait a minute no <laughs> <laughs> go for it paul we haven't let you talk yet yeah, so um, I'm Paul Joseph Anthony Martinez. Uh, my pronouns are him, she, and I am a gay male. And to kind of piggyback off of what everybody says, you know, I also grew up in New Mexico. I'm Latino, but I'm also 
uh, part Native American. And I grew up around, you know, like, I'm where I grew up is close to Texas. And, you know, so I had to, I find myself in these phases of where I had to be a certain way in order to fit in. You know, like at one point I had like a long goatee and I was part of a rap group, you know, because not because that's necessarily what I wanted to do, but that's what I found myself in the moment doing so I could fit in where I was at, you know, but at the same time, you know, a part of me, I felt very, I'm very feminine and I love that part of me, but I found myself at times having to hide that in a way when I'm around, you know, masculine heterosexuals or, you know, certain groups, you know, so it, it's very interesting how we, I am, I've had to adjust and just like Brian, I've been on a journey recently for the past years, really getting to know and fall in love with my true self. I love that. And also just to speak to Paul, thank you so much for sharing that. And, and I think that what all of you shared is really uh, poignant in that, you know, there are different groups of people that you have to be a certain way around. And what Brian was saying was like the survival mechanism. And just to give like, just like, I didn't hear about intersectionality until I went to college. And as a white woman from the Midwest, this is just not something that I have to ever deal with. Like white is my world. And I didn't actually come out as queer until later on in my life either, but because I just thought that everyone loved women as much as I do, because why wouldn't you? Obviously. <laughs> like, doesn't everyone feel this way about women? Y'all. <laughs> and then I found out that they don't. <laughs> you oh you don't look at her like that cool <laughs> oh we don't all talk about boobs that way okay yeah yeah me neither <laughs> yeah 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 I don't feel that way right. that was a joke that was a joke um, <laughs> um, but, but anyway but in inside of my world it's like I didn't realize that intersectionality existed until I went to college and I was a political science major and I also majored in women gender and sexuality and I took a political science class that talked about intersectionality. And it wasn't until then that I really, it was just like a brick over the head. I was just like, oh yeah, duh, Elizabeth, people don't have the same experiences as you. And, you know, if you are a person of color or if you are queer, or if you are an intersectionality of those things, that your life is totally different. Like it honestly really didn't even occur to me that that was the case. And, and then uh, as soon as it got pointed out, it was like, oh, of course, like, of course it's that way. But it, it honestly wasn't even something that occurred to me because like you said, you know, just as much as, you know, Rob pointed this out so beautifully, where it's just like, that's just how you lived, you know, or lived, you're still alive. That's just how <laughs> you live. <laughs> and it's not something that you think about in in that way. But I think that it's really like one of the reasons why I think it's really intersectionality is really important to talk about is because we do live like however our experience is, is that's the experience, you know, and me liking women, I was just like, doesn't everyone feel this way? And me being white, I'm like, doesn't everyone just experience the world this way? You know, like it really wasn't until it was just like, no, Elizabeth, not everyone experiences the world the way that you do. <laughs> um, <laughs> 
that it was like, but then it was like, I, but I couldn't even be aware of other people's experiences enough to even do anything about it or speak to it or like know that anything was going on, but beyond what my experience was, you know, until, until that got pointed out, you know? So just from my perspective, like as a white person, like, that's why I'm just like, I want people to know about this because I have no idea. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think it's an important thing to say because I, I think we tend to, at least coming from like an American perspective, we, we tend to value knowing. We tend to value being like, I know, oh, I understand, I know that. But I think one of the most powerful things we can never admit is I don't know. I, I have no idea. And because I think that's when we kind of open ourselves up to listen and to learn things. And I think especially this year, I, I had a really crazy experience and I, I bet a lot of people did like after the George Floyd murder, I had a lot of people reaching out to me and being like, are you okay? What's going on? And then I, I had this strange reaction to where it's not that I was necessarily fine. I was just like, this happens all the time. Like, why are you acting like this is a new thing? And then I realized for the first time, a lot of people, a lot of white people that I know were like, it's almost like they saw it for like the first time and were like, Oh wow, you're dealing with a lot. I'm just like, ah, yes. <laughs> I think it's so important that we talk about this stuff now because it seems like people are at least trying to listen. So, can I piggyback yeah. off of that? So the, uh, yeah, I think we had. I mean, probably all had similar experiences. My phone was blowing up after George Floyd, and I was literally just like, people. I mean, like the people in my everyday life. But then there was people from like my past that I had not, I was literally like, I didn't even know we were friends on Instagram. Like, and you just DM'd me asking if I'm like, who, like what? He's like sending, sending prayers your way. And I'm like, uh, okay. So like in my head, I was thinking, I went through this, like, first off, like I was pretty, I was kind of blunt, like with her. Like, I just said like, you know what? fuck your prayers. Like, I, I don't, it, it, like I was, I was basically like, I don't, I haven't talked to you in years. It doesn't work for school shootings. It's not going to work for this. I kind of like went off. Right. And then I realized like Brian just said, Oh shit, this is the first time that like people are actually, I think. And I think one of the reasons that that happened, the click in my eyes was maybe COVID because people were in this quarantine and they had no escape. And they didn't have their work, their sports, their going out with friends. None of that was there to like distract them. And then to top it off, the second one was, it was nine minutes, right? Mm -hmm. So usually when you see footage, it's like two minutes and they're like desensitized and they're just like, oh, that's so sad. Moving on. Like, Judy, where's the, where's the garlic or where's the scones or, you know, whatever. (laughs) And, (laughs) and like straight up that's what it was. I think it was just nine minutes is a lot for anyone to see whether you're, if you have human blood pulsing through your veins, you sit in front of a TV, no matter what, and you see someone getting choked out for nine minutes because of the color of their skin, it's going to fuck you up no matter who you are. Mm -hmm. And I think a good amount of people were like, kind of like, what the hell? This is, this is awful. And then it opened up a door for people to be like, hello, it's been happening for 400 plus years. Ha ha ha. Like, Hey, this is our moment to kind of like talk and do all these things. And so, and you know, obviously it's still, it's getting now that we're in this, this reckoning, this racial reckoning, it's still getting talked about. And currently now, obviously with like what's going on with Breonna Taylor and like the charges of, for the like 
white neighbors and not the black neighbors upstairs and right. the missed bullets, not the actual, like if those bullets had hit Brianna, if those missed bullets had actually hit Brianna, there'd be no charges. Right. Like let that sink in for a second. If you really think about that. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, anyway, I just wanted to piggyback off of that and like say, I think that's what, what would the difference was, was that I think COVID in a way since it had us hunkering down and we couldn't escape and have, including myself included, like I, I had basketball and all these other things that usually distract me mm-hmm. and I went through it. And so that's why I kind of went off on that girl, which, cause like I said, we weren't like friends. I hadn't talked to her like seriously since like maybe even high school. I didn't even think we talked in high school. I was shocked. We, she like reached out. So anyway, that's, that's just, that's what I wanted to say. <laughs> I want to bring Paul into the conversation. You know, how, how has this impacted your life, especially, you know, as you're, as you're navigating the world as, you know, as not only a, a, a Latino man, Latino man, but also a native of Native American descent. Uh, thank you. Um, it brings up a lot of emotion. Um, growing up, I, I grew up, you know, I, you know, was jumped by a group of men. I've been shot at. I'm not Black obviously, but, you know, with the whole George Floyd murder, it still brought up a lot of, you know, feelings for me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in New Mexico, where we were at, and I know Sarah can contest to this, we went to school in Las Cruces. Anytime that you left the city, you had to stop by Border Patrol. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what it brought up for me was, like, every time I stopped, I got treated differently. You know, they would go through my car, or they would bring the dogs out. It, you know, but if I was with other, you know, with my white friends, it was perfectly fine. So it just, it really brought up a lot of feelings for me. And I had a lot of friends were like, let's go protest. And I was like, I'm not going to put myself in that situation. Like I want to protest. Like I want to help and support people, but I know what it's like to, you know, be jumped. Like I'm not, I am not fortunate enough to be able to hide my feminine side of me. As much as, like, in high school, I told everybody I was masculine. I was, like, joking to myself. Everybody knew I wasn't masculine. (laughs) I'm not, you know, I can't do that. And, you know, so me going out there and putting myself in a very vulnerable situation to be attacked. And I was like, I'm not going to, you know, do that, you know, for myself. So it was really hard. I felt very powerless during that situation. And then, you know, I had friends reaching out to me as well. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, sharing with them, like, oh, my gosh, you know, I didn't know that you, you know, you have to go through that kind of stuff. And I'm like, yeah, that's, you know, something that I have to deal with and I have to be conscious of on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think like one thing, if, if, if there's one thing I would want, I guess, I guess cisgendered, non-marginalized people to understand in terms of like uh, intersectionality and like a lot of the feelings, especially with for what, what Paul just said is. Uh, especially now with COVID, so like like having to wear a mask all the time, and like there's this feeling, and I think this is why people are going crazy in like Costco's and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like having to wear a mask and being like, there's this like fear of like I don't want to get sick, like I don't want to get COVID. There's like this underlying feeling of like fear, and I want people to know that like that's something that some people feel every single day, even if it's not a pandemic. Like that's something that like holding hands in public, you know, or like Paul saying, like being who he wants to be mm-hmm. or, or like being the only black person in the town. It's like yeah. that fear of like, I hope I don't get COVID. Like some people have lived that their entire lives. Mm-hmm. 
Exactly. Yeah, that is so real. And it's interesting with intersectionality, I, you know, as a, as a pansexual woman, you know, but I'm cisgendered, I kind of, I, I tend to lead with my blackness, you know, I, you know, whenever I think about, you know, okay, all the different ways that I could possibly, you know, experience harm or anything like that. First is because I'm black. Second, maybe because I'm a woman. Third, maybe because I'm, <laughs> I'm pansexual, you know, that sort of thing. And so I, you know, it's, it's one of those things where do you ever find that you lead with one identity or the other and you have a hard time kind of integrating some of them sometimes? Definitely. Mm. Yeah, definitely for me. I mean, I, 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 like I was saying earlier, I, my dad's very, you know, I'm like militant, like, mm-hmm. like, um, you know, 60, I think he's like 63 now and yeah. black dad. Yeah. Very oh, black. And uh, yeah, 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 very <laughs> black, you know? And so like growing up, it was more like the box. I think I had brought this up, like yep. the check in the box and the thing, it was like check black. And I'm like, okay, but like, you know, my, my grandma is like, you know, four foot 11, like very brown speaking Spanish every day. Like I'm definitely Mexican. And like, you know, again, he's just like, yeah, but like, and, and to this day, like those boxes are so confusing. Cause it'll say like, if you check Hispanic or any of that, it'll it, like, it'll say Hispanic, but not this. And it has all these like things. And I'm like, but I, but I am those. So like, why, why would I not check? both boxes like that makes no sense to me so I've I've always just kind of led with with my blackness in a way because like it which is kind of funny like when I say that sentence because in my head I'm like okay I guess in Santa Fe New Mexico growing up like I was like perceived as because we were I was only black girl in my class yeah so it was like I was real black like you know like I went to a Catholic (laughs) high school like and like, they were just like, yeah, you know, that's Sarah. Like, you know, she plays basketball. That's our, that's our focus black girl. Like, you know, uh-huh. and then like, and I know that like, no one else said that to me, but it was like obvious what was going on. And then, and then my brother was four years older and he was also the only, like one of the only, I think he was him and this other guy. No, I think he was the only black guy in his class. And so then, you know, as things go into time, I go to college, things like that. I'm still in New Mexico, so I'm still kind of not surrounded by a lot of Black people. And I still have never, even in Seattle now, I, I mean, I live in Redmond now. And when I get around, like, three or four Black people, like, I will literally just be, like, having the time of my life and, like, doing my thing and code switching, probably, and all these things. And then I'm just like, oh, I can only imagine what it's like to be, like, a part or, like, in like a uh, city where like there's just it's predominantly black right and you can just be like there's so many black people but I've just never experienced that Mm. so I've always been too black like too black and then which is kind of funny because I'm mixed so then it's like how am I coming out like and then when I'm around black people they tell me like oh but you're mixed like you light-skinned so then I'm like oh wait now I'm not black enough like interesting and so and then it's like and then to top it off, I was severely closeted in college as well. Paul can probably contest to that. Like, I was very like, oh, my God, like, men are so hot. And it's really, like, <laughs> they were not. <laughs> like, my college dorm room had Johnny Depp, Zac Efron, David Beckham, and someone else. And, like, they were all, like, shirtless. And I'd just be like, welcome to my dorm of just delicious white men. <laughs> and she'll just be like, okay, you're kind of over, like, it's pretty obvious. <laughs> you know? <laughs> And meanwhile, I'm like turning on Glee and seeing Santana and I'm just like, oh my God, like she's just so pretty though. <laughs> but no one wanted, this was me. But right. basically, 
yes, to answer your question, wow, really long kind of <laughs> roundabout way of saying, I agree. It's, I find myself not sure where to, yeah, where to lead. And sometimes I code switch. I don't know if that's a thing, code switching your intersectionality, like oh, which yeah. box you're going to use. I could like, you know, that, like, yeah. I'm going to use this box today. I'm going to use this box. I, my fiance is white and she, her parents live in Woodenville. So when I'm over in Woodenville, like, I'm code switching it up. Like, mm-hmm. I'm just like, her name's Janet. Like, I'm like, Janet, pass the salt. These peas are great. Like, I'm all about it, like, you know? And so, <laughs> it just kind of, just kind of awesome. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so, it's <laughs> just. Oh and I kind of, I had the op- opposite experience than Sarah because I am from New Mexico as well. Uh-huh. And I am Latino. Mm-hmm. And, but kind of like she was saying, there was times where I felt like I wasn't Latino enough yep. um, because I didn't speak Spanish uh, regularly. Mm-hmm. You know, I've had people tell me like, I should be embarrassed because I don't know Spanish. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> but I would lead with, you know, my feminine side. Mm-hmm. You know, so I would have to like change it up, you know, depending on where I would go. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's just so interesting you know, having to switch. And I totally relate to what Sarah says when you're having to mark, you know, Hispanic, because I'm like, okay, but I want to mark the other boxes that I'm, I am. Right. Like, why am I limiting myself to just one thing? Like, I'm mm-hmm. proud of all of it. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, man. Uh, Rob makes me feel so seen. <laughs> so much like that you said about growing up. I'm like, me too, me too, me too, me too. And so like, a lot of stuff I don't have to say. But um, yeah, I guess adding, adding on to what both of you guys said, to the leading part, it's, it's I don't know, I, I, I still feel sometimes like, am I, like, who am I really? Like, am I, is this faking it? Is this faking it? I don't know. Because, yeah, growing up for me, one of the biggest things was just, like, not feeling black enough. That was a big one for me. I was a very nerdy kid, hung out with my brother a lot. And I grew up around a lot of white kids. And it's not even something I, like, knew or yeah. thought of actively. It was just who my friends were. And so when, when I got into high school, and I remember distinctly, it's, like, it's when, like, Chappelle's show got popular. And then suddenly all of these white kids were like, oh, ha, ha, tell, explain this sketch to me. And I'm like, I saw the same thing for the first time that you saw. And suddenly I'm this encyclopedia of, like, Brian, explain why this is a thing. And I'm just like, uh, I don't know. And then, and then it was, like, disappointing. And then it was like, why don't you know that? And I was, and from both sides, it was like, like you are Dave you Chappelle, aren't you, Brian? You know <laughs> oh yeah, exactly. You, right? write and then, you wrote the skit. I, I know you wrote this skit. I know you know. Why don't you write <laughs> secrets? And I'm just like, oh my god. And then like just all kinds of other other ways too, where where you know I I was I felt this like heavy pressure to like listen like whatever popular hip hop was at the time. But then like in my headphones, I'm listening to like my chemical romance. (laughs) (laughs) And so it's just never knowing like, like, yeah, like I just, it it always feeling like incorrect in a way where it was just always like, it was hard to just like relax and be. And I think, I think it's such a privilege sometimes to get to just exist without these feelings of wrong and right. And like, I'm supposed to, and I, you know, <laughs> the shoulds. <laughs> right, right. And so, yeah, I think for me leaning just, uh, no, I don't even know. It's like a different, I've leaned with a different part of me every decade at this point. <laughs> so, 
You took me back with that My Chemical Romance. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I was definitely into all of that, but like shamefully, right? Like I was literally like yeah. listening. Like I remember I would like be listening to it like with my headphones and like being like, and then I'd just be like, they can't like hear, right? Like I'd be like, oh yeah, you know, I just got that like, you know, Tupac album, bro. It goes hard. It's like, <laughs> you're just like, I hope they can't hear that though. <laughs> Well, that was like for me. Like I grew up, I had a I had a lowrider. Uh, my me and my family were building me a lowrider car, and I was like, I got a lowrider bike, and I was listening to like Dre and Tupac and everything. But then in my room, I was listening to Janet Jackson and Britney Spears, yeah. dancing around. Yeah. <laughs> you like you want all the moves to Rhythm Nation. <laughs> <laughs> Older than you guys, I was like only Nirvana grunge girl in my high school, black grunge girl with flannels and everything, and in Nashville, Tennessee, in the backwoods. So it's kind of like, yeah, you know, you don't really know what, you know, you want to be yourself and you want to be all those awesome things that are, that that comprise you, but you kind of feel like you have to be one or the other. There is, there's always, or there's no and, you know, do you ever feel like even within your identities, they're not completely uh, comprehensive, like for instance, my militant black father. You know, it was always like, oh, let's 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 do all these things for black people and for the melanated and all that sort of thing. I'm like, black trans people are getting murdered at you know a very very high rate. You know, he's like, oh, we're not worried about them. Oh, yes mm-hmm. we are because we are worried about mm-hmm. all black people, not just you know. And mm-hmm. you ever find those things as well? I have a complicated relationship with my dad because it's it's like we both love each other like yes. deeply but we're not close. Right. And so like, I know that like, it's like that man has done a lot for me. Like growing up, he could have easily, like when the situations that we were put in, because my mom passed when I was little, like he could have easily portrayed that stereotype and like dropped us off and just left. Right. Yeah. But he never did. And so like, I gave him power and credit for doing that because we could have been somewhere not in New Mexico and uprooted and who knows what, where I'd be this today. Right? Right, right. And so I give him that credit, but yes, he's, you know, yeah, he's he's a strong, like, militant black man, can't show emotion, like, can't, can't, you know, stigmatize his therapy, don't want to talk about his feelings, like, mm-hmm. you know, has, could be literally, like, having a stroke and be like, I'm fine. Like, you know, that kind of, like, yeah. and it's just, it's just, like, so sad to see, like, I'm just, like, but you don't have feelings. like, Brian feels like, very, like, heard in this. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, Brian's just, like, Brian just wants to reach up and be like, no. so yes no i agree and i think now that i've been out because i actually came out to my or i didn't even that's another story but anyway (laughs) point is when i was when i was basically i'm now out to my dad he has now grasped and i think he's getting that i'm just very happy and myself now that i'm getting married like next july like i think he's coming around to the idea of just almost like a sense of relief Hmm. and i mean this in the like this is like a weird way to say it, but like, it's almost like he's relieved that I'm a lesbian and that I don't have to deal with men because he's like, he's a black man that has like seen some shit. Right. And so I think in a way he's been like homophobic in certain places, but then there's times where it's like, he's like, well, shit, I'm I'm actually quite glad she doesn't have to deal with men. And like, that's no, like (laughs) as like a, and that's not to be like all men suck, but I'm just saying like, you know, cause we all know that it, it can be, it can be interesting. So but the trans, I was going to say all, all black trans yes. uh, lives matter as well. And it's so right. funny that it could literally someone who has been 
uh, discriminated against his whole life or like, you know, knows how it feels to be different for some reason. It doesn't hit when like trans, like, it's just like, oh, well, yeah, I mean, for sure. Yeah. Like, uh, I guess like, no, (laughs) like, like they matter. Just like we matter. We we all matter. (laughs) I made a, a sassy point to mention that when, uh, when I made when I made my obligatory like George Floyd post on, on Instagram, I uh-huh. I like made this whole post about it, and then at the end I made sure to be like, and I see y'all that are trying to be like hard allies right now, but I I've, I've heard y'all say not great things about LGBTQ people, right. and if you're gonna stick up for marginalized people, you better stick up for all of them. Then the big part of that was to like even people in my family just being like, this isn't right, and I'm like, yeah, but like. I heard what you said last year. (laughs) (laughs) I know what you did last summer. (laughs) Well, and some of it's not even what people say, it's what they don't say. Absolutely. Not saying anything when someone is, you know, over there bad-mouthing, you know, trans or gays or someone of color, that's just as bad. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know, and, you know, a lot of times I think we try to keep the peace you know, by not calling out people, especially folks in our family, when they say that sort of thing. But at the same time, I think we also do ourselves a disservice, you know, because we're basically telling ourselves that we're not worth advocating for. And, you know, we're not exactly helping the movement either, because, you know, again, if you're going to be for all LGBTQ people, you need to be for all LGBTQ people. If you're going to be for Black people, you should be for Black people. If you're going to be for Latinos, you should be for all Latinos. So it's one of those things where, you know, I think our, 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 the, the generations that precede us, you know, are struggling with that. But I think also, you know, it's our responsibility to make sure that we're having these conversations with people who may not even have the different types of identities that we have or people that, that do and don't realize that this is a thing, you know. Yeah. And I think that y'all are pointing out, though, one of the most important parts of intersectionality, and that really is to, to see. Like to be all people, right? Regardless of what, like Jamie, you said, like, what do you lead with? Right. And we talk and, you know, you all weighed in with like what you, what you lead with. And like, one of the things that you led with is like your race, right. But like being seen for not just your race, but like your sexuality and like any other ways that, and maybe, and maybe you're also not an able-bodied person as well. Um, which is not necessarily something that we're talking about on this podcast, but like just to throw in like there, that there are other intersectionalities besides race and sexuality as well, but really being able to, one of the things that I see as most important about intersectionality is being able to see all people and to consider all possibilities of however people show up. So that way you aren't surprised. You're not like, you're not like how I was in college where you're just like, what? <laughs> not everybody's experience is a white girl from the West, what? <laughs> Which like I knew like intellectually, right? Like I knew that, but it was just like, it just didn't hit me that way. You know? Right, right. And well, I think what's also important is to realize or to be open to that not everybody has the same experience. Mm-hmm. Like Sarah and Brian's experience, yeah. even though they may be similar they're still, their intersects are different. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be the same for me and another yeah. Latino gay man. You know, because we, you know, he may not grew up in the in New Mexico like I did. So it's going to be different. Yeah. 
Yeah. And Paul, I would love to hear a little bit more from you just about like your experience as well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and that, that is like the last and closing question, which we've already been talking about like our experiences, but is there anything else that you would like to share about your experience inside of the intersectionalities that, that your identity encompasses that maybe haven't gotten covered yet on here? I think the biggest thing for me is like, you know, growing up in New Mexico and it's such a strong um, Latin culture, it was really hard for someone to, you know, be openly gay. You know, in college, when I was first coming out, I had thought I found my first love. And, you know, on Valentine's, I remember it specifically, he broke up with me. And the reason why he broke up with me is because he was so scared that if his family found out that they would disown him and do him harm. Like having to deal with, you know, where do I go from here? You know, it's because of his culture and because of what his, you know, his family that is doing is what's going to pull us apart. And so it's something that I've, I really had to like struggle with, you know, like really come to cl- terms with that happens and it's not good that it happens. Yeah. And then, so, and Jamie, I'd love to also hear if you have any other closing closing questions as we're coming to the, the tail end of our episode here. One of the things that I like to leave people with is what are, what are the actions that you see or that you would want, you know, people to take from here? Like what's, what's like the one learn or like the one action that, you know, anyone listening to this episode that you would love for them to either take away or take on? And Jamie, anything you want to, yeah, add? Yeah. <laughs> I'll go last. I want Ra and Brian and Paul for that. All right. There you go. In that order. i mean i just basically want the fact that like in my head i'm just thinking more like we've all had these open dialogues i'm assuming with people since all of this has happened i would say it mostly it was george floyd that that did it but uh we had armand aubrey and then like rihanna taylor before Mm -hmm. that too and so but this year we've had these open dialogues with people and i think that just having that open dialogue with someone and just having that conversation to me is different from what I've seen where they just kind of shut it off. And so your listeners, for instance, if you have someone listening to this right now, the thing that I would even want them just to learn is just to be, they're just listening. Like they're just taking it in. They're not, they're not just saying, Oh, that's not, no, that's, that's not a thing. Like, you know, intersectionality, whatever. So if I'm already kind of like impressed with, the listener that's listening to this because they, they want to broaden and like, just, you know, better themselves. Like, I mean, I'm gonna make mistakes when it comes to certain things. And I know that all of my, you know, friends who are white and allies, like they know they're going to make mistakes too. But the fact that they're just having these conversations now and not just like, and not just ignoring it and being like, yeah, I don't want to talk about that. (laughs) Like it makes me uncomfortable. (laughs) Like I don't, that's, that's what I'm, I'm glad to hear. So I've kind of already gotten the, just the listeners. Like I've already, it didn't really answer, but like I said, that's, I'm already impressed with, with that. All right. <laughs> yeah, I think um, definitely, definitely that too, like the listening. And I think on top of that, my, my thing I would answer is um, 
I encourage people who haven't or who are afraid to vulnerably share their stories because I think a lot of times we keep those things in because we're like, oh, that's just something that I go through. That's just something I've, I've been through. But there's something about hearing someone else's experience. And when it's so similar, you're like, oh my gosh, me too. And I think as humans, like we really want to be seen. We really want to be heard. It makes us feel like we matter. And I feel like for me, like I, I spent most of my life not sharing how I felt or what I thought. And then I started to, and I don't think I'd ever felt more like human and loved and like I belonged than when I just started sharing my experience and then watching and hearing people be like, oh, me too. And I was like, oh, awesome. Okay. So I would, I would highly encourage that if, if people, uh, you know, with, with people you feel safe with, obviously, not just, don't just blow it up, like throw it down on Facebook. Or, <laughs> <laughs> or you could, but there might be consequences that you don't like. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I would, I, I mean, I love what Sarah and Brian said, but I would also add, like, be a listener, get curious. And actually, you know, if you listen to this, you know, take the time to go ask people in your lives that are um, of color or in the LGBTQ community, like what they, you know, think and what they've been through and, you know, listen to them and then share. Yeah. And I think I would want to leave everybody with, you know, it's okay to make a mistake, even if you're wanting to be an ally or an accomplice. Even when people were talking about folks that checked on them after the George Floyd um, incident, you know, none of us said we didn't like it, <laughs> you know, unless, you know, you're that woman who didn't talk to, who didn't talk to Raw for like, you know, 20 years and then came out of woodwork. You know, so <laughs> that. But it's awkward. It feels weird for us to be seen. But it's a good step for not only us, but it is for you too. So if you're listening to this, definitely continue to try and do that work. And, you know, um, if the person that you're talking to doesn't feel like talking about it, ease off. It's a lot of emotional labor. And so still, still keep searching, keep evolving and keep pushing to, you know, get beyond your own, your own experience, your own, your own perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you all so much. I am so overjoyed, thankful, grateful, happy that all of you came on and shared everything that you did. And uh, really, um, and I just want to point out again, what Jamie said is that the emotional labor that it takes sometimes to share these things, like really thank you for being here for that, being here so that people can listen, being here so that people do feel heard and seen. I, you know, that was my goal in this podcast is that people feel that people can listen and that people feel heard and seen and that we can really uh, connect in our own shared humanity together, even if we don't have exactly the same experience. So really, thank you from the bottom of my heart for being on our first episode of season four. I love you all so, so much. And we'll see all of you, actually, we'll see all of you on on some episodes coming up. So thank you so much. I appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Great.